I first heard of Jesus when I was seven. Um, I remember I had a dream as a kid. And in my dream, um, I w- it was like a dream and a vision. I walked outside of my apartment building, uh, apartment that I was living with my family at the time. And um, as I walked outside, I seen just demons everywhere, demons. It was kind of like a zombie movie. They were closing in on me. Something burst, like regurgitated out of me. I just called on the name of Jesus. I said, Jesus, help me um, in anguish. And a sword came out of the sky. And the sword came out of the heavens and went into my hand. But the sword was so long that I never seen the top of the sword. And I took that sword and I destroyed those demons. And I had that dream at seven years old. Um, and I believe at that moment, the Lord basically had told me where my life stood. Hello? Hi, this is Princess from Religion Unplugged. Um, I had a meeting, a phone interview today with Bevelyn. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I, I'm good. You're this fiery conservative, you know, woman taking the world by storm and, you know, spreading the gospel and, you know, a lot of people have opinions about you. And I wanted to interview you so that you can tell me your story yourself. Sure. I got the time. You ready to get to work? I, I am. So I want to start by just getting to know, like, who you were as a child. Like, what was your upbringing about? Because everybody has perceptions of you today. And I, I kind of want to dig deeper. Um, My dad was a five percenter, uh, which is a... Uh, um, a religion that kind of came first, bursted out of the nation of Islam and started in Harlem. Um, my mother wasn't really saved. Uh, she knew a bit of the gospel, but, um, you know, my mother grew up from a broken family. And I'll give you, I'll give you the book breakdown like this. My mom's mother, which I'm named after, Beverly, um, her father had my grandmother and two other kids outside of his marriage. But he stayed married, and his wife, who he was married to, is who raised my grandmother and everybody else. Uh, so, you know, and it kind of, that, the lack of not knowing the Lord trickled down into my mom. So mm-hmm. on one side, they really didn't know the Lord. On my father's side, my grandmother named Margaret, she was a woman of God filled with the Holy Spirit. But, you know, my dad was being young, and, you know, he probably felt like his mother was too religious. So he strayed away, and he chose the nation of Islam. Why am I saying this? Because um, growing up, uh, there was there was a remnant of the Lord in my life due to my grandmother, which I never met. Growing up, my dad was lost, and my mother was lost. My mother was diagnosed bipolar, and my mother entertained drugs, cocaine, things like that. Um, my dad was more of a gangster. He's a street dude. Um, I was born in Staten Island, but we ended up having to move to North Carolina when I was three because my dad was on the run for murder. And this was right after my grandmother passed away. We moved to North Carolina. Um, so, uh, I really came from, you know, I wasn't raised in the church. I wasn't raised in the church. I wasn't raised, um, uh, I, I came from a very, uh, just broken home but what I will say is there was some type of structure in the household up until my dad left my mom and dad broke up um when I was five 
And even with, you know, my dad and his lifestyle, one thing he never did was bring his lifestyle home. And he demanded a sense of structure from my mother. But again, this is a man who grew up with both parents. His mother was a woman of God. So his view on how women should carry themselves as a lady was very clear. Um, And even though he lived a street lifestyle, he still had some type of traditional values that he held on to. So while my dad was in the household, there was structure. When my mom and dad broke up, it was just chaos. Um, And my dad became, in this sense, absent at times because him and my mom would get into it. And, you know, my mom, I'm not going to front, made it very difficult for my dad to be in my life. Um, So my dad wasn't present, as present as he should have been. But I would not, I can never say I was a fatherless child. Right. And then from there, circumstances in my life, just the cards I was dealt, I, I suffered abuse as a kid. You know, my mom, she went through herself. So there's a lot of times she, she, she would get very aggressive with all five of us as kids and put her hands on us and just kind of do things that mothers shouldn't do. Um, and again, my dad not being there um, the way he, he, he could have been. It, it, it just, it was free reign sometimes for my mom. So she was very verbally and physically abusive. Um, and so, you know, I just, I kind of grew up as a very angry child, just kind of disconnected, depressed. Um, I felt like, why am I here? Why did I have to be born into this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, I was molested as a child. Um, I had three abortions. Um, I just suffered early heartbreak as a child. You know, I was very confused when, when it came to my mother because one minute, one minute it's love, and then the next minute she's, she's hitting us, you know? So mm-hmm. uh, as a child, when you grow up like that, it makes it hard for you to trust people and really uh, understand what's right from what's wrong when the person who's supposed to do you right is doing you wrong. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. Finally, when I could, I got out of my mother's house, moved to New York, went to school. Um, and still, I had a lot of weight on me for my life growing up, just, just all the challenges I had been through as a kid. Um, and so I ended up, you know, going to school, dropping out of college. I went to school for fashion marketing and merchandise and I dropped out. Um, and you know, I got arrested actually because I had did a money laundering scheme for like 20 grand for my, like for my job. I just found a way to like, 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 uh, take the money without them knowing it. Kind of laundered it without paying no taxes on it. Nothing just kind of got an extra 20 grand. Um, and I think I had did it. Um, twice and then on the last time one time I got caught and then on the last one I just turned myself in yeah I ended up turning myself in Um, and then from there while I was sitting in jail I was waiting on my dad to bail me out and while I was waiting on my dad to bail me out I met a woman who was prophetic and the woman um, she started to talk to me and tell me about certain things about me that only only she knew Only, only God could know and be seeking through her for her to know. Uh, there was a night I had come home from at the bar with my friends. I was drinking, we was partying. And when I came home, I went to the bathroom and I just broke down crying out to the Lord. I just cried. I wait up. I was like, God help me. I'm just, I was so helpless and so hopeless. And then this woman, uh, she met, she told me about that night and I knew only she knew about that life. And she said, you, you've experienced everything but death. And if you don't surrender your life, uh, that's where you headed. And when she told me that, I knew this woman was speaking the oracle of God. And I knew I needed to give my life to Christ. 
So I walked out of that jail, um, surrendered. I wouldn't say that I was born again at that time, nor was I renewed of the mind, but I was surrendered. I knew he was Lord. Mm. I never believed no other God. But that's when he became my Lord. Uh, got um, you. I'll- so uh, I want to get to the day where um, I feel like the, the term Jesus Matters came and, you know, there was a lot of controversy around what what happened with um, the BLM memorial that you painted over. Um, and I just want to know specifically about the, that day. How did it go down? What were you thinking and, and why? Okay, so this is the thing. Usually when we would, when black, this Black Lives Matter thing started to like really rise up, right? Bubble up. Mm-hmm. You know, I would try to debunk it with, you know, people would try to debunk it with All Lives Matter. People would try to debunk it with all of these different uh, 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 explanations as to why, as to why it just can't be about black lives, right? Mm-hmm. And so one day I'm running, I'm jogging, and I hear Jesus matters. Wait a minute. If you can argue that Jesus matters over all things, you basically expose your heart. If you can debate black lives mattering over Jesus mattering, you basically telling me what it, 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 it's as simple as that. I already know where you're at spiritually, because even a Christian who truly knows the Lord, Jesus is Lord, is not going to debate Jesus matters. The same way when Edme met me and I was pitching to her about a, um, a feminist organization. The moment she said until Jesus matters, what's the point? Mm-hmm. I couldn't debate that because I, I knew he's king. So for me, the Lord dropped all of that back in my head. And I, and when I came home, I said, Edna, Jesus, I, I, I know I, I didn't tell her yet. I made a video and I said, you know what? From now on, we're going to counter black lives matter with Jesus matters. And if any person, whether Christian or not, can have the audacity to contest Jesus mattering, we already know where they're at spiritually. Mm-hmm. And we all know where their heart is. But how can you contest it? So that's where Jesus Matters came from. Mm-hmm. So I just started hashtagging it. My page, people started hashtagging it. Um, and that's where the movement was birthed. Now, then me and Edna got T-shirts made. And we just, we, we, we wanted to strategically counter Black Lives Matter. with Because uh, Black Lives Matter counts Jesus. So the only thing, all lives matter can't count to Jesus because reality is all lives don't matter until Jesus matters. Uh, husbands, marriages, kids, clothes, cars, shoes, nothing matters until Jesus matters in your life. You know? Yeah. Um, that's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. That's what he said. Right? Mm-hmm. So we decided we would wear t-shirts and all of that and really just promote it. And then when we when M.A. started to make the designs for the shirts, I said, you know what, M.A., the next time we go and do a event or an activist event, We'll wear those shirts. Now, we ended up going to Florida to visit family, but we had also got arrested. Um, and before we went to go to Florida, uh, we had realized that we, we found out that Mayor de Blasio painted Black Lives Matter in front of the Trump Tower. Right. And so I remember saying, hey, I said, okay, you know what? He think he cute, but we ain't going to do nothing now. We're going to let him We're gonna let him simmer. We're going to let him think he got it. And then we're going to hit him when he expects it. And so... You know, you had different people who wanted to do the paint, that did the paint drop. You had, you know, uh, LGBT trans activists and stuff like that who did the paint drop. But that didn't really do it for me because at the end of the day, they did that in the name of Trump. They did that in the name of LGBTQ. And, you know, we ain't co-signing that. That's never going to happen. But I was like, you know what? 
I'm going to initially I wanted to go at night Mm -hmm. and get black paint and paint over the word black and just leave lives matter. Okay. That was my initial um, thought. Um, And I wanted to do it at night. I didn't want to do it publicly. I just wanted to kind of be low key about it. Then Emily was like, you know, Bev, I'm not at, I'm not at peace with going at night because we're not criminals. Um, we need to do this in the daytime and everybody needs to see it because the truth has to be exposed. And you know, I say, you know what, maybe you're right. Let's do it. So we got our t-shirts, we got our cancer paint and we went in through that paint. And before we did that, we went to the precinct and we spoke to one of the officers and I'm just kind of jumbling through the story. We ended up speaking to one of the officers who we spoke to her because she complimented us on our shirt. Mm-hmm. And she starts about how, you know, she was on the phone with her mother today just praying because she was like, Mom, where's the church? When is the church going to step up? And so then when she told us that, we said, wow, this is such favor from the Lord because we wanted to come tell you that we are the church and we're coming to stand and step up for righteousness. Mm-hmm. But then we told her we were paint on the mirror. And then she said, okay, listen, just don't tell my chief. Just go and do it and just know I got you. So then after that, we went to the mill. We got the paint, as seen on camera, and we threw it. But the prayer before even doing it was favor. We knew the favor God would give us would be the confirmation that this was his will. And God literally opened up favor from beginning to end. From the police officers who didn't, the, the charge I got, I should have got, I should have got worse, we should have should, got worse charges than what we got. We just got a simple mis- criminal mischief charges, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm a police officer. I got hurt on the job. I could have been charged with assault on a police officer. But mm-hmm. the favor of the Lord, other police were so grateful and so thankful for what we did and made sure to take care of us, fed us, washed us, washed my hands, washed, helped me wash the paint off of my hands. These cops did. They showed favor to me. And that was the Lord's confirmation to this being his will because that's what we prayed for. And even from the beginning, just constant favor, even down to other the police officer giving us the ticket to park wherever we wanted to park in the city before we even did it. Total favor. Mm-hmm. And that was our confidence from the Lord that this was his will. So you did end up getting, you know, arrested that day. And I read a little bit um about like from some articles where you were saying and you said that it was a good experience. Um mm-hmm. Like, can you elaborate on that? Why was it a good experience? Like, what happened? Because they treated us so well. Like, they, 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 jail is not supposed to be chill and fun. The police officers, if they want to, they can make things harder for you ever. If they want to, they could process, they could make you sit there for 25 hours or make you sit there as long as they want before they process your paperwork, at least up to 24 hours. And they could make going to jail visible. They don't have to feed you. They don't have to give you water. Mm-hmm. They don't even have to take you to the bathroom if they don't want to. Mm-hmm. They don't have to do anything. So for these police officers to help wash our hands, feed us, give us water, and just take care of us, you know, that was them treating us like they knew we weren't criminals and they didn't treat us like criminals. So my thing is this with Black Lives Matter. If we want to talk about the betterment of black people, what's the betterment of black people? The betterment 
of black people is first and foremost family structures, not single mothers and single fathers, but husbands, wives, children. Okay. Um, uh, men that understand their position as a leader, women that understand their position as a leader as well and a helpmate in their marriage, um, not depending on welfare. Uh, the welfare system becomes the daddy to a lot of these families. That's why there's no fathers in the families. Black Lives Matter is a snake. And because black people are so emotional, they're not taking the time to cut the grass so that they can see the snake. The snake is green, just like the grass. Mm-hmm. It's not grass. And the reason why we're not seeing that is because we've made being black lords over Jesus. Um, I just wanted to ask, you know, this, because I don't think anybody has ever asked you, at least I, I haven't seen it. What are your thoughts about um, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, you know, during this time? I love that you asked that. So the, the reality is this. I don't I, I don't know where you come from as far as, like, your background, as far as, like, crime and stuff, but I'm going to tell you something. Mm-hmm. There was a time, right, when I lived a life of sin, right? Mm-hmm. And let's just say I used to just probably, like, you know, lie, steal, cheat from this person and that person, right? And I got away with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what would happen is I would get away with it on that end, but eventually I might get a true cue for something that I actually didn't even know. Mm-hmm. Get in trouble for something that I'm actually innocent of. But now, you know what I'm saying? I'm mad, but I, you know what? For me personally, and I've always been this way, I will always remember what I had, the seed I had sown. And I will always remember, you know what? The scales are finally balanced. The, 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 the reality is we reap what we sow. Is Breonna Taylor and them innocent maybe in that instant when they died? Yes. But are they innocent in totality? No. The wages of sin, the wages of sin is death, and what goes up must come down. We have sown discord in our own communities. And now what we're seeing with the, the murder, the, 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 the deaths and things like that is the rethink of what we sown on a massive scale. So you think as a result overall, because of what we put in our communities, the things we allow basically to sin, that we're reaping it as we see with the... the we're reaping it. Okay. We're reaping it. 100%. You reap, you reap what you sow. We are reaping the sin in our, of, of our own communities. And yet we're playing victims. Yeah. Okay. So what do you say to Christians? Because I feel like I've read so much on you and I've, I've, I've seen your page and I feel like you have two different types of people that are saying, yeah, go, you know, do what you do. You're amazing. You're spreading the word of God and you're not backing down. But then sometimes I see people, some Christian leaders, you know, or people on your page or whatnot, that may say you're not, um, that's not really the right way to do this. Mm, you want to, can, can, I, can I tell you the truth? This is the thing. Go ahead. And I, I, I'm going to give it to you like this. This is how, I meet a lot of men, right? Like you said, you said I'm pretty, thank you. I'm so cute, right? Mm-hmm. I meet a lot of men who be like, oh, she's so cute. She's so cute. Well, you know, they want to be in my face. And that's the reason why I'm using this example. I meet them, right? And they think I'm just so precious, so cute. But when it's time to get on the front lines with me, okay, that's when I know whether they're husband material or not. Because I'm going to tell you something. Anybody can make an opinion from the front line. But when you're in the thick of it, <laughs> it's kind of challenging to do that. Because you're in the thick of it. You're in the thick of the fight. It's always easier to criticize the warrior 
uh, after he fought. But if you wasn't on it in that ring with him, what are you talking about? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So this is why I say this. A lot of times, I see that these Christians have their opinions, but the reality is I'm in the fight. I'm watching God be with me and stand with me. I'm watching God's hand on an everyday basis in the way I speak and the things that I do, and I see that he is co-signing me. So the criticism phases me not. If anything, it exposes for me, but criticism exposes where that person is in their face. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Based off the type of criticism you bring to the table, you basically telling me where you at in your face. You telling yourself, you telling on yourself, because so a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You don't know me from a can of beans. You see a, a 30 second clip of what you think I'm doing or, 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 or even a 40 minute clip of what I'm doing. And all of a sudden you got a great opinion about what I'm doing. You don't know me like that. You haven't even taken it. You probably, you know what I'm saying? You, in a sense, have got to see and understand me better because you interviewed me. But a lot of these people don't know me from a can of paint. So okay. basically, you judge me. And you judge me based off of your own standard. So if you if you if you criticizing me, it's because these are criticisms that you're having within yourself. Mm -hmm. For this, in this time of, of politics, for you... And correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like this is very much a spiritual battleground. One hundred percent. Okay. One hundred percent. That's right. You're right. You're a co-founder of of At the Will Well Ministries, correct? Mm-hmm. How exactly does your ministry operate? So, uh. We started off as a missions group. Okay. And basically, we'd go to different cities and minister the gospel, even in the USA. It wouldn't just be overseas missions. We would minister here. Mm -hmm. Now, what has happened is we've, in a sense, become first responders for the kingdom. We basically go out and evangelize in the streets. And what we do is we connect with local churches. And after we go and get the flock, we bring them back to the church. We don't want to build a church building. We feel like there's more than enough church buildings available for people to go to. We just like to find solid churches who are truly teaching the gospel. And after we go and get the flock in the streets, we bring them to the church to get disciples. Uh, we believe in discipleship. Um, we do what evangelists are called to do. Evangelists are called to go out and get. And so then you bring them to the pastor, and the pastor is supposed to train them and, 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 and prepare them and raise them up to go back out. Mm -hmm. So we just basically do that job for all churches. What would you say to the church in this time? Man, listen, I would say wake up. You got two choices. You're either going to be the virgin whose oil lamp was full and ready for when the bride canoe came back, or you're going to be the foolish church, the foolish bride, the foolish virgin who, who thought, oh, he's taking too long to come. And you begin to slumber. And when he comes, he's going to come and you be suspected. You will not be prepared for him when he comes. And you will not go into that bridegroom seat. And you will not be able to enjoy that meal with the Lord. It is time for people to get out of their self. Churches need to stop thinking about self and start prioritizing the kingdom, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop being a Jezebel. Submit to your husband. Your husband is Christ. Submit to him. Do what he asks of you. Yes and amen to what he says. And go forth. Stop being selfish. All right, girl. All right. God bless you, princess. God bless. Bye. This episode of the Religion Unplugged podcast was hosted by contributor Princess Jones, edited and produced by Peter Freeby. Special thanks to Religion Unplugged managing editor Megan Clark.
The Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of religionunplugged.com and is a part of The Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award-winning global religion news coverage or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or The Media Project, visit religionunplugged.com or follow us on Twitter at religionmag.